people should be using quantum computers now because of several reasons. One, you know, we'll answer your question about the business, but one, you can't just take a developer and make them a quantum developer, right? Take 12 to 24 months, right? Just like in the early days of computing, where you had to be an electrical engineer to understand the flow of electricity between the gates, you have to have some physics knowledge or a physics around to understand the fundamental physics you're trying to manipulate. So, you know, when I talk to business people and they say, well, why would I use it? Why would you? Well, first of all, everybody is trying to apply these machines to the problems we have today. These machines are about the problems. All right, this is the way I like to say it. This is what I'll say in my keynote on stage. So just preview it for you. Um, these aren't, these machines aren't built for the problems of today. They're built for the opportunities of tomorrow. Welcome to the Hell On podcast, where we talk to some of the most fascinating people and leaders in the world about the future. And more specifically, we talk about the future of uh, leadership. We talk about the future of technology and how businesses should adapt in these interesting times that we live in. And if you don't know, Hell On is a strategic customer experience and innovation consulting company. We support companies to understand, innovate, and transform their business, and we've worked with great companies uh, such as Vodafone, PepsiCo, and Volkswagen, amongst others. My name is Anse Rantanen, and I'm one of the co-hosts of this podcast together with Jakko Vananen, who is the CEO and founder of Helon. Jakko, good to see you again. How are you doing? Hi, Anse. Uh, good to be here. Uh, I'm good, thanks. It's a beautiful morning here. So, how are you? I'm doing great as well. I'm doing great as well. You know, when the sun shines, uh, it's always brings a smile to the face. Um, but talk about smiling. I, I think um, you, the listener, will most likely be smiling a lot listening to this episode as well, because this is a, a really, really interesting episode that was um, also recorded at the tech conference South by Southwest in Austin, Texas in the spring of 2023. And this episode goes into the topic of the future, where all of this is heading, where technology is heading. We'll be talking about quantum computing, we'll be talking about AI, and how all of it will impact our lives and our businesses moving forward. Our guest today is a gentleman, a uh, technologist called William Hurley or Worley, and we will introduce him properly at the beginning of the episode. But Jakko, I wanted to hear your thinking. Um, why, why do you think uh, people should listen to this episode? Well, I think the discussion with Worley uh, was such an inspiring and also a true wake-up call uh, to all business leaders. I mean, uh, the way he describes the increasing rate of uh, technological development through quantum computing and AI will, without a doubt, give us all something to think about. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I absolutely love this conversation. It's, it's a really interesting one. And uh, yeah, just to let you know, the conversation is roughly you know, 55, 60 minutes long, after which Jakko and myself will still reflect on the key takeaways from the conversation and, and maybe give a few action pointers, pointers as well um, along some with, with some implications for businesses and for leaders. So do stay tuned for that. But without further ado, please enjoy the conversation with Worley. 
So welcome to our uh, special episode again from South by Southwest. Uh, I'm Ansi, and again, I have with me here my co-host, Jaakko, and we have a very interesting guest here today uh, who goes by the name of William Hurley, or Worley, who is the founder and CEO of StrangeWorks, a quantum computing startup based here in Austin, Texas. He's had a very, very busy schedule because this is his home turf, so we're very happy to, to get his time um, to discuss all things quantum. Um, and Worley's career has spanned over 25 years, uh, founding startups. Um, you know, he's been in technical leadership roles at Apple, IBM, Goldman Sachs, and he's committed to making quantum computing more accessible uh, and improving quantum literacy. Uh, his latest book is Quantum Computing for Babies, and it offers a simple explanation or simple explanations of quantum computing. And um, yeah, his upcoming book, Endless Impossibilities, continues his mission of improving quantum computing literacy and helping readers understand the potential. And this is also something that we are going to dig into today. But just, just to kick off, I mean, I gave you that brief background, uh, but I like to um, also hear it from you. Uh, you know, if someone asks you, like on a plane or at a cocktail party, what you do for a living, uh, how do you answer that question? Oh, I just like, oh, I, have, I do technical stuff. <laughs> because once you say, I do quantum computing, uh, either you have lost the person in conversation completely, or you're about to get into an hour conversation for the 10 minutes you have. <laughs> um, but no, and, and just a quick side note, um, actually I have delayed Endless Impossibilities because of another book now available on Amazon, which is shipping in September, which is the follow-on to quantum computing for babies, which is quantum computing for dummies. And so, and uh, and I've I've literally forgotten that the entire South by Dimension. Oh yeah, there's a, another book that I just. That's the way. That's the way the schedule is right now. Yeah. Um, uh, what does what does um, Strange Works do? I mean, if you want to give a bit of an introduction of of what you guys do. Sure, it's really easy. So um, it's the same crew that did the Honest Dollar, which was acquired by Goldman Sachs, and several of them were at Chaotic Moon, which was, or around Chaotic Moon at least, which was um, acquired by Accenture. Um, so we wanted to do something fun, uh, and we wanted to do something really impactful in the world. Uh, we've had some great success as entrepreneurs, and uh, I was looking to have a retirement job. And so while I was at Goldman, I asked them if they wanted to do quantum, and, and it you know was a little early, understandably. And so then I... Uh, I said, well, why don't you give me permission to go do stuff? Because like, obviously you guys, the readers can't see, but you're looking at me thinking like, you do not look like Goldman Sachs material, right? <laughs> and so I started a Linux Foundation project. Um, uh, the idea around it, end of 2016, by the summer of 2017, I'd gathered a lot of the quantum companies together. And at that point in time, uh, even though many professed to want to work together, the reality was everybody thought, you know, you're going to win the Nobel Prize and I'm going to build a, but they were all going to do it as one vertically integrated, integrated um, architecture. And so they would own the hardware all the way to the consumer, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which has never happened in the history of anything, but, you know, good luck. And so effectively, that's a nice way of saying nobody wanted to work together and I couldn't start the Linux Foundation project. And the problem with this is it was supposed to be my retirement job, uh, which I had told my wife. No more crazy startup hours, no more stuff. And it was all a beautiful plan uh, that, like best laid plans of mice and men, did not work out. And so, therefore, uh, walking out of the, the room that day, uh, my good friend Jackson Sheehan, who was helping me get the Linux Foundation project started, said, well, what are you going to do now? I said, well, um, you know, I guess I'm going to start another company. And so then I went home and told my wife. She now calls it my sci-fi company. It is... Um, uh, you know, she says no more sci-fi companies, uh, but it's been the most wonderful and rewarding experience 
that I've had to my date uh, to date in my career because it's something that's going to impact all of our lives. Um, it's something that's very early on, so you can kind of be a part of its formation. Uh, and it's something that is now a community of thousands of really, really brilliant and, and very creative and very wonderful people around the world. Great. So, yes, did not answer your question, but great. So, uh, strange so strange. So taking that strange works decided, well, how do we put this technology into everybody's hands? And so we started by building community in the first year. And then we built some dev tools with what we learned in the second year. And then we built a platform in the third year and then a marketplace and ecosystem. And now we have, you know, major clients in finance and energy and pharmaceutical, et cetera, as well as uh, a community uh, of tens of thousands of people around the world that um, are trying to push forward developers learning physics, physicists, uh, you know, physicists learning development. So, you know, cats loving dogs, dogs loving cats. It's, it's a it's a pretty insane thing to be a part of right now. And you're going to hear more and more about it as we move in the future. It was just on the cover of Time magazine here in the U.S. in February. Um, it was just on CNBC. Uh, it was just in like, you know, a bunch of different media outlets that, frankly, for the past five years, you know, you've come back, hearkening back to what you said, you say, well, what do you tell people when you meet them? Well, you say, I do quantum computing. It's just the end of conversation. Now you say it, a lot of people in the business community, other communities, when you're on those flights, they've heard about it. They ask about it. What was, what's your origin story with, with quantum? Um, how did you end up becoming interested in that? Um, you know, why, why quantum? Well, I always feel like smart entrepreneurs are always thinking about what's next in all areas. So what if it goes out of business? Where do I get a job? What if it does this? Where do I do this? Right? We all sitting here at this table have, have lived through those experiences. Um, I found my greatest success when I started saying, I'm going to lay out what my next few things are going to be. Right. And just always have in my mind, like what's next? Because especially after Goldman, we started Honest Dollar in March, 2015. It was acquired by Goldman in March, 2016. So I was like, wow, I better start really thinking ahead. But I had three ideas, biohacking, I was very interested in that robotics, which I was interested in, but I saw, you know, Boston, uh, you know, every robot company. I don't want to pick them on getting sold, resold, sold, resold. So I said, maybe that's not the market for me. Biohacking is very regulated. Uh, and I just got out of a regulated industry and they're very difficult. They had a lot more challenges for a startup when there's regulators involved. And I, the third was I had really been watching quantum computing, um, for a long time. I mean, quantum computing, has been a concept since you know 1980. Uh, in the late 90s, you started having these nuclear res uh, resonance machines, uh, magnetic resonance machines uh, of two qubits, five qubits. Uh, by the early 2000s, you started seeing more and, and more press about it in scientific journals. And so I'd always been just fascinated by quantum mechanics and, and all of these things. And so I said, well, I don't want to do a regulated business. Um, I don't think robots are coming as fast as people think they are, although I'd, I'd be fine with that. Uh, and I thought, quantum computing, this is a unique thing in a startup area I've never done before. Here's what makes it unique. Nobody knows what the possibilities are. No one is an expert. Everyone will be affected. And so you're like, this is a ground floor, as they say, opportunity that I can say, this is my last startup I ever do. I'm going to do quantum computing and AI and the convergence of those for the rest of my life. I've never had that in my career. I've never branded myself as a certain type of person. I've never looked at this. I've always been focused on, um, you know, just like, oh, this is a cool idea and I'm going to do it. This is a 20 year plan for me. We're now five years into that plan as of, you know, this week. 
Um, and we know what exactly what the next five years bring. And I think that has changed me as an entrepreneur uh, in, in many, many very fundamental ways. That's cool. Um, and I'm sure, uh, yeah, as, as you mentioned, you know, the concept of quantum is, you know, permeating our, our media to some extent. I mean, we're talking about it a bit more and more. I think, I think it has been on people's radars for years, sort of, if I think about myself, it's been on my radar, you know, probably f for five to seven years, but I've never really deep dived into it. And, uh, and I think um, a lot of people are familiar, at least with the term, you know, people might be uh, familiar with, with something like, you know, the Schrodinger's cat or, or something like that. But I, I think if we, if we just sort of zoom out and, and um, um, you know, start with the basics and then we'll go deeper into the implications. But what, what is quantum computing? I mean, in its simplest form. So think about this. You know, we split the atom to build atomic weapons. We split the atom to build nuclear power. Now we're splitting the atom to build computational power. And I think that will have more of a profound effect on our planet and our species than, than the first two. And so, you know, what does that mean? Well, think about, you know, what is a quantum computer and what are the advantages? And the simplest way I find to tell people about that is imagine you have a coin, right? And we lay it down on the table in front of us, heads up. And that's a one, and we flip it over and it's a zero. On that one dimensional, you know, two dimensional plane right there, it can't be anything but a one or zero, it's a binary system. But if we take the same coin, we flip it in the air, at the apex of that spin, it's in a quantum superposition of every probability of one or zero. And much like Schrodinger's cats or all of these examples like you mentioned, until we stop it and we measure it, collapse it into a one or a zero, it's in that you know almost endless state of probabilities. What does that actually mean? It means if we have four bits, you know, think of your iPhones, your Samsung phones, whatever, all the way to the supercomputers. We have, you know, 16 outcomes and we can be in any one of those outcomes at once. If we have a quantum computer, we have a qubits, which is the, you know, quantum equivalent of a bit. We have to put quantum or Q in front of everything. You've probably noticed that with all the startups are named Q this or Q that. Um, if we have four qubits, we still have the same 16 outcomes, but we can be in all 16 states at the same moment in time. So it's very, very powerful, and it's very, very powerful when you add qubits, adding a bit to that classical system, we go from four, or 4 and 16 to 5 and 25, that's awesome. But when you have 4 qubits and you add a fifth, you have 2 to the n, the number of bits. So it's exponentially more powerful, and there's a whole series of problems in material science and, and optimization and you know uh, uh, drug discovery and new forms of energy and all these. We have a massive amount of computationally complex problems in our world, that it's not that a classical computer can't do them, that's a myth, it's that a classical computer might take tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or millions of years. You know, a great example is a traveling salesperson, we wanna go to 14 cities, including Helsinki, I'd love to come visit, and we say, all right, I write a script on my laptop, and it takes it a few thousand seconds for what we call the evaluation time, so the time I hit go, till it gives me an answer. Um, if we go from 14 cities to 22, a difference of only eight, that same computer takes thousands of years. And if we went to 28 cities, that would take longer than the time of the known universe. So it's not that they can't do it. It's unlikely that we would be around and we want the answers faster and we couldn't keep a machine running that long. And so quantum computers will do things in you know uh, minutes, hours, days that would take a supercomputer hundreds or thousands or even millions of years. This is a very, very big impact. And I don't think enough people are really understanding that because we've taught people to think of speed as we increase, you know, the clock speed on your PC or whatever. And so people are like, oh, what, why is it faster? And it's like, 
they're special purpose machines for special complex problems, right? So it's not gonna make YouTube faster. Uh, it is going to find a cure for cancer. It will break all encryption. It will help with new forms of material science that will take us to Mars. These kind of things are, are what these computers are for. And I believe it is the beginning, the spark, if you will, of a scientific revolution that we haven't seen in 100 years since, say, the 1927 Solvay Conference where quantum mechanics came into existence. And when it comes to computational power, I think most people are familiar with the Moore's Law. Um, d d does this break the Moore's Law? Or just this is more out of my own curiosity. <laughs> so, like so is, is, is so it a step function change or like, what, how, how, do, how do we think about that? I think it's a step function change. And, and everybody, you know, every, of course, then this is what I'm saying. Um, you know, everyone is thinking too classically. Like we've so ingrained in the marketing and how we do, I mean, every NVIDIA presentation, every AMD presentation, every, you know, Microsoft, you know, Google, whatever, everything is like, it's faster, you know, Apple, you know, it's 28 times faster than the last thing we built. And we've trained people in this, you know, I buy a new phone every year, then they have this idea. Think of a reset, okay? Think of 1963 is 2023. In 1959, Jack Kilby invents the integrated circuit. Before that, you bought transistors one at a time. Okay, that started the launch when he was at Texas Instruments to the computers we have today, to all the processing power we have. So, you know, think of we're about to hit a reset button on that and we're about to change and step away from von Neumann architectures. We're about to step into a completely new and completely uncharted world uh, of computational abilities and frankly, other complexities that we'll discover along the way. You know, working with fundamental physics to build computers. Uh, you know, I admire these hardware engineers. This is not an easy thing. And what is what is the state of, of quantum computing now in 2023? Um, I mean, I if I think about quantum computing, and it is probably very misguided, you know, I think about these ridiculous machines um you know I, I think the last time i saw you know a video of, of quantum computing it was probably when um and when, when it sort of hit the headlines i think it was 2019 when google announced that they've sort of hit quantum supremacy etc and then i just remember deep diving into a rabbit hole of watching youtube videos of these ridiculous machines that need to be you know um Kept, you know, the temperatures need to be ridiculous temperatures. Like it's, it's a pretty, it looks oh, like yeah. a pretty complex sort of system. What, what is like, what is the state of quantum computing in 2023? And like, also like how accessible is it? Um, so where are we like right now? So it's very accessible. Uh, the main product of Strangeworks is a platform that contains all of the quantum computing frameworks and all of the quantum computers pretty much. Now, some of them are in the, a very nascent state. So you, you have to access them through a backstage pass program where you apply and we help you know tell the hardware provider, okay, these guys know what they're doing and it's okay for them to use it. And you, know, you sign an NDA that says, look, I know it's a brand new machine. It's gonna break a lot. I'm not gonna be like, oh, let me tweet about that or whatever, right? Uh, but we have dozens of machines, maybe 60 or so that you can access right now. <coughs> Those come from Everyone from IBM to INQ to D-Wave, et cetera, all the names you know, and then names that you haven't heard, you know, Qera, Cold Quanta, which is now called Inflection, these other companies. And so it's very accessible. And AWS Bracket, you can access a lot of the machines. Microsoft has Azure Quantum, you can access a lot of the machines. Google's not doing anything yet. IBM Cloud, I anticipate, will do something soon. Even companies like Oracle and Dell. So accessibility isn't the problem. Um, and you know, you talked about the temperatures. Understand that there are a dozen ways to build a quantum computer, right? You pull an electron off, you're using its spin, and maybe you trap it between lasers, like an ion trap, and those can work at room temperature. 
All right, and that's uh, you know then you have superconducting circuits, which is what you described, where you have to take like a salt atom, pull electron off, and then you cool it down almost to you know as cold as space, and uh, you know almost you know zero Kelvin, and you work with it there. Uh, but there's other things. There's nitrogen vacancies and, and nitrogen diamond. You know, there's it goes on and on and on. We don't know which one of these architectures will be the best. You know, personally, I like the. I, I think the ion traps are going to be really good in the near future. I think superconducting has a very bright future. But there's also in Australia uh, companies like Dirac that are using silicon. And so they're using very standard technologies that we know how to make. So if they can do that, you know, maybe these machines advance a lot further. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to ask about uh, if we are talking about a reset here. So, so we are talking about that quantum computing can solve something that is unimaginable today and if we think about uh, for example different business leaders that like should be now interested in this area but kind of have a hard time to figuring out that okay what can be how might how might those challenges even look so what is your kind of what well, is your take on that like how do we how do we envision those possible super challenges that that we don't even no, now, how can how, how can we? This, this is try to this is my it? favorite. This is my favorite conversation to have. Okay, <laughs> because I think people look at it; they're ridiculous. All right, people look at it, and what do they say? They say, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to wait until the computer has advantage or supremacy or whatever term you want to use." Um, I believe in what we call quantum value, and there's quantum value today. Right, uh, John Preskill had a paper published a year ago, uh, uh, not last December, but a year before, uh, in which they showed uh, 40 superconducting qubits, 1,300 experiments, uh, and they were able to show there's clearly an advantage over a, a classical machine. Um, you'll see more and more of that, I believe, starting this year and next year. But this is the problem. The problem is that in the area of hype around cryptography, in the area of hype around speed, all these... Uh, the community of, of quantum companies has inadvertently misled people. And so they take away, see, you know, you have a great question. So what do I use it for? Well, what was your first computer that you ever owned? I'm sure uh, you strike me as someone who had one as a young age. So what was your computer? Yeah, well, it was like a, a PC, PC 386. Okay, great. Yeah. So you had a 386 machine. That's awesome. So that's a piece of shit compared to your <laughs> phone in your pocket now. Why did you use it? Why didn't you wait for like, the computational wonder, right? It's yeah, 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 it, and yeah. this is the problem. It's like people should be using quantum computers now because of several reasons. One, you know, we'll answer your question about the business, but one, you can't just take a developer and make them a quantum developer overnight. Take 12 to 24 months, right? Just like in the early days of computing, where you had to be an electrical engineer to understand the flow of electricity between the gates, you have to have some physics knowledge or a physicist around to understand the fundamental physics you're trying to manipulate. So, you know, when I talk to business people and they say, well, why would I use it? Why would you? Well, first of all, everybody is trying to apply these machines to the problems we have today. These machines are about the problems. All right, this is the way I like to say it. This is what I'll say in my keynote on stage. So just preview it mm -hmm. for you. Um, these aren't these machines aren't built for the problems of today. They're built for the opportunities of tomorrow. OK, think back to the beginning of computing history, you know, a little after the abacus and, you know, the ENIAC and things, 
what did people use them for? We've always looked at new technology and said, how could it do a spreadsheet faster? Right? You remember the famous quote from the CEO of IBM. I, I think there's room for at least four computers in the entire world, right? <laughs> it's like, okay, that's what we're doing again right now, right? And, that, and that's ridiculous. Um, we need to take all the business leaders, you know, my advice to them is like, here's what's going to happen. From 1963 to now, we can see the trajectory of compute power. Now we have artificial intelligence really coming into bear. Now we have these quantum machines actually running. Yes, they're noisy and they call it NISC, you know, the near-term intermediate quant noisy, you know, computer. who cares? It doesn't matter. The AI will let you look at some of the answers and clean up some of the noise, all of these other tools. So the thing that I think business leaders should focus on is our world will change more before 2030 compute-wise than is change in the history of compute. So if you take from 1963 to today and collapse that into now until 2030, if your business is not looking at these things, evaluating, working with these things, then you will be displaced. Some of the largest companies in the world, I guarantee in the next 10 years, will be replaced. They'll be dethroned. And people say that never happens or whatever. Okay, well, there used to be, you know, let's just take social media that everybody knows, right? There, there used to be AOL and CompuServe, and then there was GeoCities and this, and there was Facebook, and now it's Meta, and it's going to go away, right? I mean, this is what happens. And so think of, tech, as a business leader, think of technological changes about to come at you much, much faster than you can imagine. And don't think of quantum computing as the end game. Think of quantum computing and AI designing organoids where you grow or lab-grown organs that are used as computational surfaces, right? Things like that, um, neuromorphic processors, morphic processors, all of these things. Uh, even analog compute, which nobody ever talks about, but is super, super useful in some of these things. So I guess the point is, is that quantum computing is the beginning of our march, and this is our focus here at Strangeworks, to heterogeneous computing, where uh, you know, a brilliant developer has a great idea, and we say, that's awesome, but we can take this part of the code and send it to this processor while this is over there, while this is over there, and bring it all back and tie it together. And that's the future of not just scientific compute, but computing in general, in, in my opinion. And maybe uh, one more follow-up question regarding this. like. If that's the, the future, and now, <coughs> for example, here at South By, people are talking about uh, like what is the relationship with uh, relationship uh, between AI and the human, uh, and uh, for example, consultants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, how do you see like how how will quantum computing change that like the the relationship bit between uh, a human and and the machine? So, look, if you will. So, somebody. <laughs> I've been to a lot of things in the last five years where, you know, you're at a big corporation and all of a sudden they have a photographer and they take a picture of you in the lab or there's something. One of my friends that works here that travels with us, he, he was like, he's like, I don't know, like, why do they take it? It's like, they think this is a historic moment, okay? So I hope history does not remember me in quantum computing because I have some very exacting opinions. I think they're right, but, you know, could just as much be wrong. Um, the interaction between quantum and AI and humans is the, the entire focus of all of my, my life's work at this point. And the way I look at it is that um, the interaction with, with AI and humans will change. I believe, and I've said in many interviews, there could be 100% unemployment by 2060, and that could be very dystopian or it could be very utopian, right? It could be like Gene Roddenberry in Star Trek and you know, I can sleep till 11, you know, I'm a developer, right? So I'd love to sleep till 11, maybe by noon, I'm having breakfast, then, you know, I go do all of my things that I like. So these things are going to empower people. The reaction between AI and human is going to start like this. 
everybody's going to focus on the negative because we live in a society of fear and uncertainty and doubt. And we have drilled that. The media has drilled that and everything from your politics worldwide to everything. But and think ne about negativity bias is strong. That's right. The yeah. negativity bias is it's a hundred percent, right? It's like we have a dial. We turned it all the way to left to negative, right? And so, so if you think about it realistically, and this is where I don't agree with Elon Musk and all these people that are, you know, the, the, the doomsday, you know, oh, AI is going to this that. Think about it logically and think about it objectively for this interaction. There are two paths. There's a positive path and there's a negative path. The negative path only has two, maybe three outcomes. Number one, Perry Farrell and Porno for Pyros was right. We'll make great pets. Okay. The AI just, AI, AI just takes care of us. Uh, number two, uh, it's Terminator, right? We're all dead. Okay. And, and number three, um, maybe it's everything's good, but the AI makes some mistakes and, you know, society's kind of changed. Uh, but that probably leads to something like the Marvel comics, like, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, Cree you know, and them having uh, basically an AI that is their, their government. And uh, there's a great book about that, if you're interested, called The Day AI Becomes God uh, by Tetatsu uh, Matsumoto-san, who is a good friend of mine, and he is uh, amazing. Um, and uh, uh, Matsumoto-san uh, wrote this book in, I want to say 2016 or something. It's really good. But it talks about that kind of outcome. Okay, yeah. so those are the three. So we know it's bad. We're enslaved or we're dead, right? Those are the two bad outcomes. Let's talk about all the positive that could happen in the interaction between humans and AI. Because there's millions of things from curing diseases to fixing economies to food supplies to you know, travel to space to everything. So I think it's really, really ridiculous and really, really irresponsible of everyone to be so focused on the stuff that gets them the attention because we have so much negative bias. I think it could be, I think it will be very wonderful. And I also think it's foolish to think we're going to create a brain and then that brain is going to have bias. And I'll tell you why. Because if we're going from AI to AGI, an AGI, in my opinion, if it were true, would have its own opinions. So it would listen to all of our bias and it would say, mm, I don't believe that and I don't believe that and I don't believe that because it's, you know, I think it, that would be true. And if we get to a super intelligence, it would definitely think, you know, as a sentient being, on its own. Uh, I, I often say, compare it to your children, right? I have three children, 26, seven, and five. And my five-year-old, you would think, uh, you know, let's pretend I'm the, I have so much more knowledge. I am an AI compared to my five-year-old, right? I know infinitely more than he does about the world and people and emotions and politics. Um, but if I tell him to do stuff, uh, does that mean he just does it? No, he develops on his own. He forms, why would a brain that's a AGI or super, why would it not do the same thing? if we're truly designing it in the way we, we claim. So I think you have this amazing interaction where AI and, and humans start to get over the fears that you know Hollywood and negative bias and all that, and they start understanding, wow, I just got six hours of my day back because I use ChatGP to respond to emails that are, you know, I don't really want to respond to. You know, I would say when people have a lot of email box, I say the reason is you're afraid to respond. If you have a bunch of emails in your box, there's one that you just don't know how to handle it. You cut and paste it in there. And you say, write a nice, funny, witty response that says thanks, but no thanks or whatever. And people go, oh, thank you. That's great. You get hours of your day back, right? That was a very simple example. My entire presentation at South by from conception, okay, except, you know, to the, uh, to the, what you read on the South by website today, to the slides that are being made, to the art and the slides, to everything was built completely with prompt engineering with about 12 or 13 different uh, artificial intelligence services. 
So I think it's going to be wonderful. And when you talk about quantum, how can you have an artificial intelligence if the world is quantum mechanical and our brain is quantum mechanical if it's not based on a quantum computer? And how do those interact? Well, guess what? Even if you don't believe that, you should believe that AIs will start coming up with algorithms that are beyond the capability of our classical infrastructure anyway. Right, so I think the interactions will be wonderful. I think if I look at it and I make a list, Ben, ben Franklin, you know, here's the positives, here's the negatives. Yeah, there's a few negatives, and they're really bad. I don't want to be a slave, and I don't want to die. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. but the good is also really, really good, and far outweighs the the negative, in my opinion. Yeah, I think uh, Kevin Kelly talked about this yesterday at his talk, which I found to be very interesting. He he basically said that you know he he sees at least in the sort of mid to mid to short term future, sort of AI's computers becoming assistants to us almost. Like yeah, I don't want to respond to these emails. You know, it's a pretty manual task. It's a pretty laborious task. It's not a lot of fun. You know, yes, like ChatGPT could sort of handle that with a bit of guidance, right? Or you know, I have to do this reporting thing. I have to put pull together numbers from all of these places. It's manual. It's not very fun. Um, like that's easily something that a computer can handle. Um, but, but I think like what, one interesting actually uh, thing to double click on um, is what are, what are things that are being done now or could be done now? And I was thinking that, I mean, you've probably seen tens, hundreds of use cases and, and what, what people, what companies have been doing. Um, but I think that would actually be a really interesting place to, to go because, you know, as, as Yaku asked earlier, like, where does a leader start? What can you even do? I think it would be super interesting to run through a couple of examples of what can be done. I, right? I don't. I, let's do that. But I don't think, you know, I love the business leaders, but I think there's a movement that we're not giving enough credibility to. OK. And that is the rise of what I call the non-creative creative class. What I mean by that is and you in your business know this, how many friends you have to say, I got a great idea for an app. If I only knew how to code, I only could do the interface or what? Those people can now go to a machine and say, uh, build me JavaScript code, blah, 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 you know, whatever. Um, David Hudson, a very good friend of mine who I'm collaborating on a special surprise for my speech on Wednesday, um, has created a website called Mill Missions. And this website is by a girl named Sarah and it's a recipe website. And from conception of it should be in recipes to the domain to setting it up to the WordPress site everything to checking Google Trends about what to write about to write is all done by a series of AIs he combined together. There's a real world example. Okay, um, my new website will be using a, a new modified advanced version of, of David's work. He's you know been gracious enough to basically let me steal his stuff and say, hey, could you do this and do that? What if it did this? <laughs> um, I will be showing uh, multiple examples of this from how it helps me gather information to how I disseminate that information to other people. So think about this. How many times do you have people ask you for a favor at South by? Oh, could you this or that? Well, what if you say, don't text it to me, text it to this, or I forward it to that. And now it can send out a message as me to 150 people while I'm doing this interview with you. Right. And, and to put that in perspective, right now, while we are sitting here, before we came, we kicked off a process for, in this example, the new to write thousands of blogs historically, retroactively, that I never blogged because in 2018, when I did the keynote at South by Quantum Computing, I said the blog superposition will return on March 13th, 2018. Let's be honest, it never did. Okay. <laughs> the company took off. So, as part of this is South by, I am having it right as me based on all of the other blogs I wrote, and it's very, very good, 
all of the things historically I would have written. Uh, and so now my website will have thousands of posts that didn't exist. And it will do that in a time frame of around two hours. Okay, and we're going to try to record a video of it doing it, you know, do like a time lapse for the presentation. So there are, there are hundreds of things. Um, AI is already helping with quantum computing in reducing noise in helping get answers out of the machine. Um, we're working with a, a large pharma company on quantum and AI where the AI helps us to deal with new types of approaches with neurological disorders and things like that. So there's practical applications in, hey, it... It does my schedule, it makes an excuse, it writes a poem for my wife at Valentine's, whatever, right? There's all these different things, uh, all the way to it's trying to solve really big problems already. And look, we're not there. It's not magic, okay? Um, but it will be um, indistinguishable from magic in the next 24 months, 36 months. And here's the thing, think of ChatGPT, which is the one everyone talks about. There are a hundred of them out there, okay? But it's a popular one. How big is that large language model now? And how big is it going to be with over 100 million people feeding data into it every day in two months' time? And so that's, I guess, the point for the business leaders and for everybody out there that's listening to this podcast is technology is going to start changing so fast, regulators will not be able to keep up. Businesses will not be keep up. Businesses will be displaced. So you have to be aware of these things. You have to be educating yourself on them. And you have to be realistic about them, right? You can't just take the negative bias we talked about earlier and be like, oh, I don't care because somebody, you know, a, a reporter wrote a thing and said the AI went off the chain, you know, it's hallucinating or whatever. I, I think that's bad prompt engineering. You know, I remember back when Facebook said, their AI got so complex, it made its own language and started talking to each other that the engineers couldn't understand. And what I thought was, that's bad code. Like you, you, you don't write good code. <laughs> I mean, I'm not convinced that that ever happened. Um, could that happen in two years' time, five years' time? Absolutely. Can, can I ask one uh, follow-up? So, uh, like everybody's talking right right now about ChatGPT, and you were uh, just saying that like how you've done your the whole presentation by by using like multitude of, of different AI services. So so like for the listeners, like what would you say are the most inspiring AI applications you are looking oh into at the moment? Like what 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 gets you like really? What gets uh, me excited? What excited, gets me excited yeah. about is this. Um, you know, there's a very famous video uh, on YouTube of Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. And they're being interviewed by Charlie Rose. And at one point in the interview, Bill Gates tries to take Warren Buffett's planner. He carries a paper planner with him, right? And he says, he says, oh, I, I, uh, you know, look at my calendar. I'm in meetings at 3 a.m. until you know midnight or whatever. And look at his, you know, bunch of blank pages in here. And, and Warren Buffett says uh, something, and I'm paraphrasing to the effect of, I can make as much money as I need. I can buy business. I can make business. I can do all this. The one thing I've never been able to do is make time. And the thing that inspires me most more than anything is the time. We all have things we want to do. Every person out there works at Starbucks, works at a grocery store, wherever it is, and they're like, hey, um, I have this great idea, and they never have time. Think about now, leaving your house to go to your job at Starbucks in the morning and telling your AI, here's something I have on this idea for this movie script, blah, blah, blah. And in seconds, he's giving to you, he said, that's great. Could you do this or this or that? For the example of my presentation, I said, write an 800-word um, you know, abstract on this title. Here are things I want you to include. Here are things that don't want included, et cetera. It does that in seconds. Today, 
my designer, and I want to tell you, we're waiting to the last minute purpose. We have not built the presentation for the keynote on Wednesday. It is Monday, okay, almost 2 p.m. in Austin. We have less than 48 hours. We have done nothing. This is something you normally prepare for for weeks, if not months. We will tomorrow make the entire presentation, all the art, AI, all the content, AI, what I will say, the words that will come out of my mouth, scripted by AIs, okay? As an example to prove that people think it can't be passionate, it can't be influential, it can't be the stuff, that, that you're wrong. You're completely wrong. And those are, you know, that's a, you know, I hate to focus on the South by talk, but like, I've been so excited because don't get me wrong, I sit here with you, I have anxiety, I'm nervous, I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna, so tomorrow we're gonna hit a button. <laughs> <laughs> Wish for the best. <laughs> and then, yeah, cross yeah. our fingers. Yeah. And then either there's a great presentation and a great script and then I'll rehearse it tomorrow night and tomorrow morning and I'll deliver it at 11.30 or, you know, maybe not. But with all the experience we've done so far, I feel really, really confident. But the point of all of that story from the, what Warren Buffett said and everything is we cannot make time. And, and nobody has time and everybody has ideas and they have passion for this. This can put millions, if not billions of hours of time back into people's hands. What will they do with that time? What amazing art will come out of that music, creative stuff? Oh, by the way, you know, you want to write a movie script? You know, now you can do it using AI a lot faster. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect and you hit it. It's not. It's not perfect. You're done. But imagine how long it would take me from... Let's make a movie about, we start opening scene, there's a podcast, there's three guys in a room, right? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And we say, you know, this and that, and there's terrorists, and then there's a thing, and there's a hero, and whatever. And you would take months, if not years, right? To produce an actual script. You'd hire different writers. Now imagine what happens if we do that today, while we're sitting here, and we get it close enough, and then we give it to a writer, and in two weeks, we've done something that used to take a year. This is the most impactful thing, I think, to everyone, is giving us back time and giving us the ability to, the freedom to, to use that time for whatever we want and to think about art or music or fashion or design or whatever it can be, programming, et cetera, et cetera. That is the world that, that's emerging. And it doesn't mean people will be displaced. In the 80s, there were people picketing because ATMs were gonna replace bank tellers. It was a huge, you know, go look it up, a huge controversy worldwide, okay? Do you use a bank teller today? Of course you do. It didn't replace them. It took away the mundane task of counting money, and it said instead of that, maybe you could do better customer service. Maybe you could originate loans. Maybe you could find other, right? This is about to happen in a way, and I don't think people are excited enough about it, where billions of people are affected, you know? I mean, ChatGPT, uh, what is they charging, 20 bucks a month? Almost anyone can find a way to afford 20 bucks a month. And what can you do for 20 bucks a month with that, mm. right? The return on investment is phenomenal, especially for people who aren't technical, who aren't creative, but they have an imagination. And that's that, that rise of that non-creative creative class. And so now somebody who had an idea but couldn't code like us or couldn't do the art or whatever, now they can do enough to maybe go find the people at a minimum, no matter what critics say. You could take somebody who has an idea, they could go online and use AIs, and they would have at least enough to say, here's a business plan with a, some code, you know, rough code to sample, kind of a rough looking interface. You know, I built a website using it or whatever. Think about just a year ago, that's not possible. Think about what's possible a year from now. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's completely removing the barriers to entry, basically. 
That's like right. Really and, that doesn't mean, and that doesn't mean yeah. everybody will be successful or every, but you know, you're not going to have a business coding or I'm not going to be able to do quite, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's going to impact things, but I think the things it impacts are, are not the things that we are anticipating. I think everybody's uh, the people that are kind of pushing back on AI or, you know, there's religious fears, there's negative bias, there's all these different things. I think from a business perspective, the people pushing back on AI, um, AI to those businesses, looks exactly 10 years ago, like our startups to those businesses, mm. right? Uh, we yeah. don't know and they don't follow the rules and it doesn't work the way we've set up and the bureaucracy, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, if you thought startups were a pain in the butt for global 2000 companies, where do you see what people with no experience, but this amazing technical <laughs> capability will do? Cause it's going to be extremely disruptive. Yeah. Um, by the way, I just have to comment that like that is, Probably one of my favorite YouTube videos with with Warren Buffett and uh, it's amazing. It's it's hilarious because uh, Bill Gates can't believe his eyes when he looks at Warren's That's schedule because right. it's it's purely empty calendar. It's hilarious. I, I love it. But think about it. I you know everybody asks me South by, I do have done the same thing since I saw that video eight ten years or whatever. It's an old video. Um, I said you know I'm no longer scheduling South by. I no longer weeks in advance. I could have every second of every hour of every day planned. And now what I do is nothing. It's why I'm able to do this, because then I do the things I want to do, right? That is such an empowering thing uh, for everyone, whether it's me and myself by schedule or a single mom who has three kids who wants to better her life, right? That time is going to be the most important impact of AI on society. Well, so, so I think, um, you know, I, I do, I, I think it's hard to argue against um, the fact that, you know, this sort of quantum computing power will, will you know, change a lot of things. I, I, I'm just, I'm just curious, how do you think, like, people, you know, like, I should get involved? Like, is there something that, you know, you can do, right? Because, because you know, if we're talking about this big shift and this, this big sort of, um, you know, truly step function change, like, is there something, for example, that I could do today, next week, in these upcoming weeks, sure. to somehow, like, get involved and just, like, understand better? Well, you know, let's, like, let's like, talk about yeah. everybody from the business leaders in your audience, just people. This is what's great. You can go to things like ChatGPT, Jaspers, uh, Typeface AI, all these things. Uh, typeface is a little more a different thing. Uh, but you can go to all of these resources and we're used to Google. Th think of what we think of the paradigm shift. You used to say, well, you should go learn about it. So what do you do for the last 10 years? You go and you Google it and there's ads and there's a bunch of stuff. Now, and now you can literally ask the internet, if you will. And I funny, my friend, one of my co-collaborators early in my career, Preston Gregg, used to laugh because his mom used to say, oh, I asked the internet. That's how she said everything, right? That's reality now, right? And so what would I do? I would educate myself and I would not be afraid because think about it. People are afraid, and this is the other thing that's di been disintermediated by this change. People are afraid to ask people because they don't want to sound like they don't know or they're gonna be embarrassed. Now you can sit on your toilet, you're taking a poop with your phone, you're like, hey, chat P3, uh, what is quantum computing? That's interesting. What are the job opportunities? What, and all of these things are coming back. And then you can go and have a conversation. But the answer to you, if summed up in a word, is explore. We have, because of the negative bias, lost our willingness, and in some cases, the ability to explore, to enjoy the wonder of like, wow, I don't know. And that's okay to think about these things, to think about it from a perspective of, 
I don't know about, I mean, think about this. This whole team here at StrangeWorks, right? We have one physicist on the team originally. Now we have two or three people that are kind of physicists and developers. We didn't know anything, you know? People were like, really? You guys are going to do quantum computing, right? Even my co-founders were like, you're very sure about this, right? <laughs> um, now imagine someone starting that same company today and think about the knowledge they could obtain, the connections they could obtain for Endless Impossibilities, which is an amalgam collaboration book. I went in and I asked ChatGPT, I'm going to write this book. This is what I want to cover. This is what I want to cover. Who would be the top three choices of authors for each chapter? And it gave me the names and their wikis or their websites and the day. And I said, oh, you know, is there any email out there? Whatever. That would have taken. Did it find the emails? It found three. Yeah, yeah, yeah which taken, exactly. that's great. That yeah. would have taken a week of me working at night after work to be like, okay. And you, how would I have done that? I would have said, oh, who's going to write? Okay, well, I want to cover, you know, I had to sketch it on the whiteboard. And Think of how it helped me organize the thoughts, organize my focus and my purpose. And and this is something I, I said in an interview. I think the problem with society globally, America has this worse than anywhere, is we've made people think that they have to have a purpose. We've made people machines. You know, the irony is we talk about the machines and worry about this, mm. you know, and being Borg-like or whatever. What do you think we've done with our schools? What do you think we've done in society? The negative biases led to like, I need to see value out of you. What is your purpose? What is your purpose? Why are we here? And if we want to raise our kids and we want to really have the world we all envision, it's not about purpose, it's about passion, right? And and so now the AI becomes the thing that is Im, Im, you know embroiled in and burdened with the purpose, right? So I have a passion, I want to write a song, I want to do this, I can now use these tools and produce things I couldn't have done you know, a year ago. And now I'm following my passion and that the function, the, the purpose, the mechanics of it is now outsourced to something that will never talk back to me for a long time, <laughs> will will do exactly what I ask, which will be the problem for most people, is they'll be horrible prompt engineers, right? Because <laughs> they'll, they'll do it uh, conversationally, but without guidance. Um, you know, and, and it's just, we live in the most amazing time to be alive in the history of humankind. Period. Full stop. You know, 10 years ago, you know, comedians had great jokes about people on planes. You go from New York to San Francisco, you used to do my wagon and, uh, you know, it's all messed up and people died or whatever. And now it's like six hour flight. You're going to use the bathroom and have a drink and the full meal and whatever. We don't even appreciate that. Everybody who flies complains about flying mm -hmm. when they should all be like, whoa. Complains about the Wi-Fi not working. Yes. You Louis C.K. has a great joke about yes, that. Yes, yeah. that, that's his joke. That's exactly what, you know, I only didn't mention him because I don't know on your podcast or Globe, you know, he's, he's had a little trouble. So. He but, has, yeah. But yeah. he has a great, but, but that's a great, great, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite things because it's like, it's so true. You're going to yell at the stewardess that the Wi-Fi doesn't work as you fly hundreds of miles an hour, strapped to thousands of pounds of jet fuel from Helsinki to Austin, right? And you're going to be like, pfft. Why doesn't the Wi-Fi work? It's like, would you take a moment to back up a step and think about everything that had to happen for you to do that? How amazing that is? You know, most people, I think in society, if we went back 100 years, would just die because it would be like, ah, you know, it would be too hard for them. But it's like, if you think about that, 
now you think about that in the perspective of AI, you think about the perspective of quantum, kind of the future of compute, and you go, wow, what an incredible... Know what that was, <laughs> but uh, it's the AI is attacking us. It's got yeah, a yeah. plumbing system or something. <laughs> but no, uh, seriously, what an incredible time to be alive! We should all be so thankful that we have developed ourselves enough that we're about to make a dramatic jump in our technical capabilities and our understanding of each other and getting the negative bias off. And it's all going to happen because we're at this one specific moment in time that everybody should take a step back and think about just the last 10 years. Think about what has happened in the last 10 years. Go talk to your grandparents. Think about what they've seen in their lifetime. Yeah, we're getting some really random noises from the walls. I don't know what's going on, yeah. but anyways. I'm gonna look out the window. Jakob, did you have a question? Yeah. Uh you just uh, mentioned uh, grandparents. If we uh, move from grandparents to kids and think about the kind of paradigm shift in human-machine uh, interaction and connection, like what should we teach to our kids? Well, that's a great question. Um, in fact, I just went on a, 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 a friend of mine has a, a, a podcast about dads. It's called Dad Saves America. He thinks that, you know, dads have to have this role and parents have to have this role. And, and he calls it the fear industrial complex, the negative bias you said early. It's, it's awesome. And this was the whole point was to talk about how do you prepare your kids? And the way I think about it is, you know, three things. Number one, we should have our kids try as many things as early as possible while they're under our protection as, and find out what they're really good at. I think genetically, a lot of us are disposed to do things better than other people. It's not fair. It's not right. But it's like, I'm never going to be Michael Jordan, but Michael Jordan's never going to build a quantum computer either, right? So like I found my groove, right? Um, so I think it's really important to, to push them to explore more things. Uh, number two, um, a lot of people say, my kid will never have an iPad. And don't get me wrong, social media can definitely have negative effects or other things. My kids have iPads. They're five and seven but we monitor what they do. We limit things. We don't let them have this thing, but we'll let them have the other things. So you can do this in a controlled thing, but you're gonna take in our technological world, your child and be like, don't use technology. You're, you're damaging their future. You're damaging their ability to relate to their peers. You're damaging their ability to, to get a job, right? This is, this is bad. Um, and finally, I think it's about that purpose versus passion. Your kids don't need to have a function. They're not a software program. You need to take their little unbiased, completely unlimited brains, and that's what you know they're gonna need to do, is like let them go and be them and explore and use these things and work together so that they are exactly what we all say all the time, our future. The children are the future, and then we say, but you know what, don't use an iPad, don't do this. You should be a lawyer. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of hypocrites talking out of both sides of our mouth, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just, just to wrap up, we have a quick um, rapid fire round. Uh, there's just three questions and, um, and you can, we can keep it pretty short. So, so the first question is, what is, what is the one most significant thing that you think will change in organizations because of quantum and AI? 
So when you say because of quantum AI, everything I'm about to say is from the perspective of this convergence of these two. So just imagine them as one, you know, quantum AI, let's just call it. Um, in organizations, uh, one, it will definitely um, uh, change the way that they hire, the way that they train, the way that they build out organizations. Older organizations will find themselves, uh, unfortunately, having to, to reduce workforce that they no longer need because of this. Newer organizations, which are the future and what I'm excited about, will not need as many resources to get started with their, their vision, right? So I think it's very impactful. Um, did you ask for three? Yes, no, 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 no. That oh, was okay. that yes, was for that one. Was okay, one. Good. Yeah. For some reason, I was like, wait. Yeah. No, no, no. But there's there's two like, more two more rapid fire <laughs> questions. What is one book that you recommend? What is one book that you really think every like leader should read? I mean, obviously, Quantum Computing for Dummies. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I think I think you know, for me, I I would recommend my friends two books. Nick Bostrom wrote a book called Super Intelligence, which is about strategies and designs and potential things where he talks about how we build these things. It's very heady. It's not for everyone. But if you just at least like listen to it on Audible, I think it really will change your perspective about how we're approaching this. And the second is the day AI became uh, becomes God, uh, because it's technical but philosophical. But it really will expand your mind about how do we think about politics, how do we think about decision making, how do we think about you know uh, trade and, and commerce and these things. And and that's going to be valuable for every business leader. And last question, what is one thing you think, you know, every leader, every person should do this year to sort of stay ahead of this curve or ride along this curve or, or something like that? Look, it's not this year. It, it's today. If you start today, you're already three years too late. Okay. And you need to do three things as a leader. One, you need to build a virtual team with your org. Pick your top three or four guys or gals and say, we're going to go explore this space, you know, part-time. Give them a little ability to do that. Number two, you need to start ingesting this information, but you have to do it in a way where the negative bias and the hype are cut out of it. You know, quantum computing is not going to cure cancer next year, okay? Um, you know, AI is not going to take over and kill us all in two years, okay? So, so you have to be able to have the distinction. And then lastly, you need to be able to support the people that want to do things with these technologies that are unfortunately and inevitably going to cannibalize the way you do things today. And it's really important. If you don't do that yourself, someone else will be doing that for you. And it's okay to say, hey, this has run its course over the last 20 years at our company, and now we're going in this direction, right? I think that's very, very important for people to know. Yeah, I think probably becoming more aware of the classic innovator's dilemma is going to be even more important Absolutely. than ever. Yeah, work by Clayton Christensen. And I think I'll just finish on a, uh, a Chinese uh, proverb, which I think was that, you know, the best time to plant the year was was 10 years ago. The second best time is today. So uh, maybe I think that's very, very exactly correct in this situation. On that note, Worley, thanks. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks for taking the time. This has been this has been super. Thank you. Thanks for Thank having you. me. So we are sitting here with uh, my co-host Jaakko a few weeks after South by Southwest and uh, we are going to have a bit of a follow-up conversation and uh, deconstruct some of the more interesting ideas and takeaways uh, that came from the interview and discussion with Worley, which we uh, both thought was actually quite fascinating. And uh, that is what we're going to be talking about uh, today. And I think uh, there's 
at least for me, there were a lot of really interesting ideas and thoughts that came out of this conversation. But uh, but maybe just to kick it off, Jakko, what was the most most interesting takeaway or most interesting idea that you got from uh, you know having listened to the the, the conversation again? Yeah, thanks, Ansi. Uh, I think definitely uh, our near future was uh, the most interesting uh, uh, takeaway. So, kind of the reflection that that if we think about uh, the development of computing power, that uh, in the next seven years, like between twenty twenty three and twenty thirty if the development will be kind of even faster than what it has been from the 1960s until 2023. So I think that's uh, going to be uh, quite interesting. And uh, I have no doubt that that uh, with uh, quantum computing, uh, that's definitely the, the case and, and kind of the stability issues with, with quantum computing uh, and scalability will will definitely be solved. But do we actually kind of know within uh, the next five to ten years that that or let's say let's put it this way. I bet we can't even imagine uh, the problems and the, the kind of complexity within the problems that that we will be able to solve uh, in the future. And I think that's just an immense opportunity uh, for so many verticals, but but uh, especially kind of the people and the planet, uh, what we will be able to do uh, within healthcare, uh, within uh, the climate crisis at hand, etc. So definitely uh, super interesting times. Yeah, no, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, I've always since a teenager i've had the uh feeling that we're living we're living in very interesting times and very unique times uh but after this conversation i think i felt it even more right and uh, and for me also the most interesting takeaway was that uh yeah like we we can't even imagine what the world will look like in in you know 5 to 10 years um because truly the the the, the pace of development is shifting and will even shift more because of quantum computing. And something that I didn't even know was that um, quantum computing is available like now, right? So, so that if you have a problem that you want to be solving, you know, you can actually through the StrangeWorks network, you can uh, basically get access to sort of quantum computing, which I, I didn't even know. Like, I didn't even know that it was accessible. So I think that's like super fascinating. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's, um, yeah, I think it's really, really interesting. And uh, so that for me was a huge takeaway. Plus also, I do have to admit that I was really blown away by the fact that Worley was going to do a presentation at South by Southwest and that everything for that presentation, you know, the script, the, um, visuals, uh, basically everything from start to end was created by different AI tools. Uh, I think he said that he used like 11 different uh, machine learning or AI tools for that. Uh, I was pretty blown away by that, to be honest. Like that for me was a super fascinating use case, right? Uh, and I do think that right now, I mean, we're, we're recording this in, in, in April 2023. Um, 
so you know people might laugh at this in a year or something but like i think right now it's still a bit difficult to do that right if i would have to do a keynote presentation next week you know i would have to use 11 tools and i would have to figure out how they work and blah 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 like i think it's a bit bit um it's it's a bit of work actually but i have no doubt that you know in in you know maybe 6 months or a year or 2 years whatever like this will be just uh, almost at the snap of the finger which i think is quite crazy and unique but yeah yeah and i i have to say uh, after watching the uh, presentation from worley i i think he really nailed it like just a brilliant example of of how how uh, you can actually uh, can create uh, time for yourself in these times, as he said, like uh, before um, a presentation at South by Southwest would be like two to four weeks uh, in advance preparation. And now it was like uh, the day before. Yeah, exactly. Probably like five hours max or something. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, yeah, time is the only non-renewable resource. So um yeah. Well, what do you think are implications uh, for leaders, for organizations, um, you know, from this conversation? Yeah, I think one thing uh, for leaders in global large organizations uh, is the speed. Uh, that, that really, the speed of uh, that the, the uh, AI uh, development, uh, let's say, and, and quantum computing together it's like two vectors that are actually just picking up pace uh, day by day uh, it means that that also kind of the disrupting powers uh, will have uh, a faster pace and speed uh, than ever before and if we look back let's say the, the recent 20 years and the kind of big wave of, of digitalization in general uh, we know uh, a lot of companies in in different industries that that were the giants of of their fields, and and uh, people thought that they will never fall until the day was there, and and uh, they were uh, disrupted out of of out of their business. I think the speed of of that kind of disruption uh, will be. Uh, kind of a, a reaching totally new uh, heights in, in that sense. And, and um, we will see a kind of disruption wave of, of uh, even bigger companies uh, falling out of, of, of their business uh, even faster. Yeah, and I think companies that we have a hard time imagining falling out of business. I think uh, ChatGPT is a great example of that. You know, the fastest product ever to scale to 100 million users. Uh, like, it's really, I mean, if you think of Google, for example, I think, you know, a year ago, two years ago, it would have been really hard to imagine that Google could be disrupted. But but again, like, if someone, you know, in a... Uh, in a um, uh, sort of garage in Silicon Valley just builds a freaking killer tool like it's <laughs> it's actually possible which I think is super interesting and for, for me as well like really the, the implications here is is that you know organizations and teams absolutely need to be on the ball like they need to experiment they need to try things out they need to test things out uh, you know and I think Worley said it pretty well like uh, every single organization needs to create the virtual team of of you know 
three to 10 of their sort of smartest uh, people and just really start, you know, spending time thinking about these things like, okay, how can we use generative AI? How can you, how, how can we use LLMs? Like, or are there problems that we should be solving with quantum computing? Just, um, just like this, uh, this factory almost, because yeah, I, I think it is without a doubt going to be, um, an opportunity, but I think also like a wave of destruction in, in the upcoming years. So, so, and I, I know that a lot of organizations are doing this, you know, they have their innovation teams and et cetera, but I do think that, um, yeah, it's just going to grow in importance, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and truly the, I can't remember, I think it was like, and, and again, like there's good and bad sort of scenarios, um, but, but I think, I can't remember, I think it was like some news organization or whatever, just, you know, like, uh, just last week I read that they, you know, fired like half of their copywriting staff or something because they're just going to be using sort of LLMs to create uh, content sort of even faster. So they want to create the same output with the exact same amount of people. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting to see how it unfolds. But I think there will be massive implications. Like yeah, that is for sure. And I, I, I totally agree. Uh, with the idea uh, of building virtual teams that that really focus on on kind of trying to imagine uh, what is out there and what's happening next, because because usually large organizations they really lack kind of the imagination of of how things might be in the near future, and that with this disruption speed, the near future is even closer than they think <clears throat> and and kind of transforming the company into something new and then dodging the the uh, bullet of, of uh, disruption uh, is still something that it's it's gonna take time we know uh, we've been discussing earlier also uh, about uh, company transformations that they are still as hard as they they have been before so so it's slow and also, if we think about, about quantum computing, we don't have uh, coding skills at scale because you need to have physicians that can code or coders that are physicians. So, so there are plenty of kind of practical challenges uh, for all of the organizations that when they start kind of seeing the signals and understanding that, okay, that's the direction where we should change in order for not to be disrupted, uh, then there is still a long list of practical challenges that they need to overcome in order to kind of create the competence and the momentum exactly. uh, in order to be successful. Yeah, I think, I think you know, Worley said in this episode that, you know, a, a quantum developer, like it, it takes them a year or two to, to sort of get up to speed with all the possibilities. And I think that was quite interesting, right? Um, that it's not something you can just do overnight. Like it, it requires investment as well uh, from a time and resource point of view. But yeah. Um, so what are you, what are you gonna do? Is there is there anything you Jaco will be doing differently, uh, inspired by this conversation? Uh, yeah, I I well I I, I was like uh, immensely inspired by the whole conversation, but but especially the latter part when we started to talk about time and uh, kind of the idea that, that if and when our 
productivity as leaders will increase exponentially. We will be able to make decisions uh, faster uh, than ever before. So what it actually means, uh, it will create more minutes and hours uh, to our everyday. And for me, the, the biggest question is that what happens then that will, it, will I actually continue just work more and more and, and think that, okay, I can kind of produce uh, more and more or will I actually be able to have more uh, time for other significant, relevant, meaningful uh, things in my life. Uh, for example, hanging out with my kids or friends or whatever uh, hobbies or just thinking. So I think that's that's uh, highly inspiring, but also I think highly uh, challenging uh, for all of us to think that that will we actually be able to make more time for ourselves because the the history and facts are actually telling us a totally different uh, story. Uh, the fact is that that until um, the beginning of uh, uh, industrialization uh, globally, uh, like 1850, until that um, we were able to increase our uh, productivity uh, and our free time uh, parallelly. And then uh, as the industrialization uh, took off uh, globally, those uh, vectors turned that actually our productivity uh, globally uh, continued to, to uh, pick up pace and increase, but our the amount of free time and available time for other things than work actually uh, uh, went uh, downward again. And we are still in that same uh, vector that, that we are actually uh, more productive uh, than any time in history before and, and immensely uh, more, but uh, we are uh, having less and less time for other than work. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. I think, um, and yeah, so so hopefully, this next wave will be able to, um, yeah, flip that that sort of ratio that we've been looking at um, the past sort of since the industrial revolution. Yeah, I think on a personal note, I mean, before the conversation with Worley, I had of course dabbled with you know ChatGPT and a lot of these other tools, but I think this really sparked a fire in me to to really. Um, experiment more with these tools. So for example, I'm going to be a Toastmaster at a wedding in a week. And uh, yesterday, I just thought that, you know, maybe hey, maybe I'll ask ChatGPT to sort of help me co-create, uh, like, how I should be running it. And it actually worked really well. Like, you know, asked it first for sort of the high-level agenda items that we should definitely include and maybe what I should... Um, um, you know, include and, and what are some maybe funny activities that can be done during the wedding. It gave me five. I didn't think any of them were good. So I asked it for more, gave me more. So I, I think like I, I actually I think I think I'm going to be a way better Toastmaster at a way quicker sort of time frame, because if I would have spent a lot of time thinking about this myself, blah, 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 um, you know, like it would have probably been OK. But but I think 
yeah, I, I just thought it was really fun, really cool, actually. And I, I think that to, to really dabble more, to, to really, really, really dabble more and be, I think, almost childlike again, right? Be have, having this childlike curiosity, you know, because I used to work at Google and I think that I'm pretty good with technology and, and you know, I'm pretty good with computers. But I, I think this is like a whole new um, wave that I'm not good at yet, right? And I think that's a cool opportunity. So that at least for me, I think this conversation was really inspirational in sparking that fire underneath me. So yeah, that's that's what I what I at least think think that I'll yeah. be doing. Yeah, and and I think maybe one question to you that that uh, well obviously now you've prepared uh, for the wedding uh, maybe. 80% faster than than you would have been without uh, GPT. Uh, the question is that what did you do with the time yeah. that 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 uh, was freed up? Did you just work more, or did you use that for something meaningful, just hanging out, or? Unfortunately, I think I just worked more, which is which is not good. So I, I definitely agree with your. Um, sentiment that this is for sure something that 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 we need to think of but yeah but yako super super good uh i think it was a fascinating conversation with whirly and uh good good wrap up and i really hope that uh listeners also took a lot away from it and uh yeah thanks everybody for listening and uh stay tuned for more interesting episodes and conversations thank you so much on my behalf thank you